I see a withered old man has dragged you onto our doorstep. Welcome. My name is Luke. And I'm Emma. And you're listening to Is Fitz Happy? Uh, we're a chapter-by-chapter reread through of Robin Hobb's Realm of the Elderlings. In-depth spoiler look at everything that's going on in the chapters. Before we fully dive in, I do want to say that we are going to differ in pronunciations. Um, we'll try to keep it consistent between the two of us. But we might be off from what you think it is, and that's okay. We haven't listened to the audiobooks or anything like that. But um, one of the major ones, especially that as it appears in here, is Burek. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah. I, in my head, always said Burich. But um, I went the Norwegian route yeah. <laughs> and just <laughs> hard K'd that C-H. So. Yep. So we're sticking with that. Uh, it's going to be Burek. Um might be something that throws you off to begin with, just so you know, it's Burrich in my head, at least. So, Which is really odd to me. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, it's I might like, flip between the two, so just beware. It's but. fair. I don't know. I just feel like it's so weird when you read something because you like just make up the pronunciation in your head, and then all of a sudden you talk to somebody and they're like, no, you're wrong. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, Hermione messed everybody up for That's Harry true. Potter. They but. had to put it in the movie, but... <laughs> Uh, anyways, this week we are starting with chapter one, first episode. Best to start, you know, at the beginning. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is called The Earliest History. And it starts off with Fitz's writings of his attempt to jot down the history of his land. Um, more like his attempt to be salty and throw shade at his dad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it it starts off with a little story about Taker, the first king, the, again, the out Islander. In my head, I always said Outis Lander, which is completely <laughs> wrong. I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's fine. Out Islander. I'm going to mess that one up too. It's going to be Burrich and Outis Landers and Outis Land. <laughs> yeah, he's an Out Islander, which I think is interesting because I think, spoiler alert already, <laughs> one row in and one line in, and I'm already going to a different book. But doesn't Eliana talk about the history? Um, she might, but I, I actually don't remember that or recall that directly. Really? I feel like I have a weird memory where she says something along the lines about um, her people believe that uh, the duchies were a failed sailor or fighter because he, like, didn't stick to his mother house. I mean, that makes and sense. I just feel like I remember, like... I don't even know if it was like an overheard conversation or if she's directly talking to Fitz, which I can't imagine she would have been, but I'm pretty sure somewhere in... Probably something that uh, that Fitz overheard yeah. her talking about, but anyways, uh, <laughs> that's jumping ahead a couple, uh, couple books here. <laughs> Several books. Yeah. Um, um, so Taker is the first real king of the six duchies, comes in, takes over the native people's fort and builds it up. 
And that kind of starts the tradition of naming your children after a certain trait or virtue. Mm. Uh, eventually, Fitz stops writing because he's bitter at something and brought something into the story that he thinks should be impartial. Well, uh, do you have ideas about what that might be? Um, yeah, so the line... Um, but history shows us this was not always sufficient to bind a child to the virtue that named it. And I, I took that as, like, Major shaded his dad chivalry, who had a bastard kid. And then he stepped down from the throne and caused this whole mess of this story to happen. And, I don't know, I took that as him being angry at his dad, and that was the hurt that he's talking about. Possibly. I, I kind of disagree at that because I think his his hurt with his father is kind of past because his father wasn't really a, a figure in his life at all. Um, I took that to be talking about Regal because uh, the whole passage is that the children will be bound to fulfill their names and it quotes as, so we are told, a pretty fancy, and perhaps there once was such a ritual, and then it concludes with, but history shows this was not always sufficient. So I assume that he was talking about Regal and still bitter about him not living up to Regal, and if he was magically bound to being Regal, none of this would have happened. Interesting. I hadn't really ever thought about it as being a jab at Regal at all. I guess I just assumed... I mean, Fitz does have dad issues, yeah, so... Yeah, for sure. Um, but I guess I just always assumed it was, like, his anger at his dad and, like, not living up to his name. But then also, he doesn't have a name, and so he's just angry that... You know, I kind of felt like this was also gearing towards, oh, this is so lame, I'm Fitz, and I don't even have a real name. <laughs> and this is stupid, <laughs> which is funny because he chooses to go by Fitz like I'm pretty sure it's this book later on that he yeah it, your your take is very interesting because he addresses or it is addressed I guess in this chapter that he has no name it goes by boy he quote unquote forgets it or does not remember having a name so it could be directly speaking on his life and that's why he's bitter about not being able to write a history without putting his own hurt into it. Yeah. All right, uh, so he stops, and we get introductions of Fedren, everyone's favorite scribe. <laughs> um, a nice dude right there. Mm-hmm. And more self-loathing from Fitzy Boy, talking about his hurt and uh, ink scabbing over ancient wounds <laughs> and things like that. Which I thought was beautiful. I thought that line was really well written and I really liked the imagery it portrayed I think myself cured of all spite but when I touch pen to paper the hurt of a boy bleeds out with the sea spawned ink until I suspect each carefully formed black letter scabs over some ancient scarlet wound I just I don't know I just think it's really cool this, this chapter really sets up Hobbes writing and there's a lot of really cool things that I picked out on this reread yeah uh, that I can't wait to get to but we have lots to go yeah even if with this relatively short chapter I know I was really surprised this uh this chapter this episode discussing this chapter is probably going to be fairly long because we get the introduction to several very large characters in Fitz Chivalry's life so 
Um, I think it's funny that you mentioned veteran, but not patients, because specifically they're both mentioned together in like making him who he is as like a writer and just like what we see from now on. They were the reason they were so enthusiastic about the idea of a written history that he convinced himself that this was a good idea, something he needed to try to write down. And I thought it was really interesting that so early in we're getting a hint of like patience and Fedrin. They meant so much to him that he chose to continue to try to write history throughout all of his life. And he doesn't succeed, but it's really cool to see that just right away in the beginning, they're his inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Um, And we get a little bit of insight to patience in this chapter because it's a reread. I mean, we already know who she is, but um, with a little bit of context, we get more of how Fitz feels for her right off the bat, which is great. Um, But Fitz is kind of monologuing right here about how he's terrible and and, woe is me. <laughs> woe, yeah, woe is me, as is most of the series. Um, but right here, I do want to point out, this is at the end of the trilogy. We are set up to believe that Fitz has lived a very long life, and he's an old man, but he's about 20 to 25 right now-ish. I'm assuming this is before he gets Hap. And... I, I could be wrong there. I think he gets Hap. What do we figure out? About 28 or yeah, something like that? somewhere around there. Um, so at the end of the trilogy, he's about 20, spends a couple years wandering around, finds the cabin, and then starts writing and things like that. So he, at this point, is partially forged. He partially forged himself and put memories into Girl on a Dragon at the end of this trilogy. A lot of his pain and... I feel that contributes, along with his addiction to skill and elf bark, to a depression and a bleakness and just a dulling of everything that could be possibly good in his life. Yeah. I mean, he's he's had a very difficult 20 years of his life, <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely a reason to be down and, and depressed and feeling very poorly of yourself. But he's also been magically manipulated as well. Yeah. Which I I just kind of wanted to point out. Yeah. And I think we can see, like, moving forward, his disdain for the skill, kind of, and just magic in general, um, and even his addiction struggles, just um, because he's talking about how he doesn't know how he remembers this event so clearly of his when he was six and it doesn't make sense and he's thinking that maybe it's skill he specifically says or could the completeness of the memory be the bright overlay of the skill and the later drugs a man takes to control his addiction to it the drugs that bring on pains and cravings of their own i just feel like it's a really interesting that he's talking about the skill as this negative like it's definitely going to bring on addiction to both the skill and drugs (laughs) oh yeah definitely i mean he's he's addicted to both he loves the skill loves that feeling of connectedness and then he also loves the high of the elf bark 
as well as hates both because the skill gives him severe headaches and that longing to put himself to oblivion and the elf bark while it kills the urge for the skill makes him even more depressed <laughs> yeah so it's just a, a terrible situation rock in a hard place for fits there Definitely. Um, I kind of want to go back to what you just mentioned before this, is that this memory sticks out to him so much, and that memory is is when Fitz, the boy, is brought to Moon's Eye and dropped off by his grandfather. Why do you think he doesn't remember anything before he was six years old and that day? Okay, I don't know, and I've been really struggling with this, and I think just his whole telling of the lead-up to getting to the door is really just I can't fathom why number one he can't remember anything before this before being part of the way there he can't even remember how long it took him to walk this far he assumes it wasn't very long but who knows and he hears his mom calling out for him and doesn't even react there's no at least in his memory he has no reaction to her calling after him and it's so crazy and then I wondered like is it possible that his grandfather could skill or you know and is somehow maybe he isn't aware of it he's just keeping the boy calm and because we know that not just royalty has the skill and we also find out later that his grandfather is from the duchies. Yeah, he's a common guardsman. Yeah, so it's poten- I, potentially a, he has thought. skill in his blood. I mean, obviously I have no idea. But I just thought maybe his grandpa unwill- like unknowingly trying to calm his grandson just was like, you need to like just cool, calm down, it's okay, everything's fine. And, I mean, his grandpa isn't being mean to him. He's being really kind, and he's not struggling. I don't. I just, I mean, his grandpa's kind of being mean to him. Well, his grandpa isn't ever mean to him. He specifically says that the hand is strong, but not unkind. Right. So, right. I mean, it's horrible, but I think that there's a little bit of love in there from his grandpa. Sure. I mean, his grandpa drops him off because he can't feed his wife and his daughter anymore because no man will take his daughter since she has a kid. Which is really sad. <laughs> yeah. And since he was a guardsman and he his prince is not claiming his bastard kid, he's probably kind of upset about that yeah. as well. My thoughts on the memory thing are kind of varied, and I don't know if any one of my thoughts are even correct, but he gave memories of his pain to the girl and the dragon, the stone dragon. Right. And some of those memories, I believe, are the abandonment he felt from his mother. Ooh. Okay, I like where this is going. And he doesn't have those memories back right now. Okay. So I think he gave some of those memories, and since he's recalling that right now, and as he's older, he's like, I remember this day clearly. Um, he got rid of pretty much all of his family memories. And that might be why he can't remember what his mom looked like. He remembers trying right. to look at her, but... Exactly. Um, because his grandfather was the gateway into his new world where he met all these new people that have such a positive impact on his life, 
I think he gave that abandonment pain. Like, he has a lot of pain and loneliness specifically called out in this chapter. And I think a lot of it stems from his mother. And I believe at the end of this trilogy, Kettle calls him out on that and says, you actually didn't forget your mom. She's buried down there somewhere. Um, You just haven't forgiven her yet. Which is also really sad. Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's there's a chapter later where he sees them in the... We'll get there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's terribly tragic. Yes. But it could be that. But also, in real life, if you have severe trauma, you can repress those memories. True. This is very specific call-out on a day, and it doesn't seem super characteristic of that. But in general, I think... Fitz might have a combination of that, like, he feels abandoned and has no more attachment, plus he gave all the hurt and attachment away that he had, based on those memories, to the girl and the dragon. So I think, like, he literally just feels no attachment until he has the day where he meets Verity, he meets Burek, he meets Nosy. I really like that idea, actually. Just, I think that's a really cool insight. There's no real way to prove it, but thought it was interesting yeah something to think about definitely Uh, because i think a lot of what drives him through the tawny man trilogy is at the end of this where he gave some of those memories away yeah but we get to the actual meat of this chapter is when fitchillery is six years old he's walked up to moon's eye dropped off at the front door which were tall And not just to a six-year-old boy, but tall enough to admit giants. To dwarf even the rangy old man who towered over me, he says. Which made me think, is this an old elderling building? Or just weirdly tall doors Mm. because medieval castle? True, I actually haven't (laughs) looked up anything about Moon's Eye. I know there are some passages in the books about it. Especially in the later books of this trilogy, I believe they go back to Moon's Eye because he's taken prisoner. But I don't remember the history of it. Yeah, I don't think I do either, and I probably should have looked that up, but I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that it was a really tall... I mean, I don't know that these doors are tall enough to admit dragons, and I know that we know Kelsingra is the only city of its kind, even the elderlings but i just thought it was interesting that the doors are so big yeah my first thought is that it was just a fort and they were made massive and that's it fair like an old six touchies aesthetic (laughs) right yeah it's gotta look intimidating you know (laughs) but also whenever he gets to the doors he says that it's almost like a puppet show beginning which i think is a really cool thing that is throughout the whole story that he feels like he's a puppet this whole idea of his actions are controlled by something not himself and i just think that's really an interesting thing to start now the idea of the puppet show beginning (laughs) yeah so um his mom comes from off stage she doesn't remember what she looks like and screams please father don't and his grandfather throws a chunk of ice at her or near her can we talk about how rude that is that's his (laughs) daughter (laughs) and he's just throwing ice chunks at her and presumably this makes her run away because the guard says he didn't see anyone with him but later but 
I mean, that's just so rude. That's all I could think. It was like, wow, okay, old man. That's rude. <laughs> and we get an introduction after that to Jason. Yeah, my man. <laughs> I am going to be on the lookout for Jason in the future because I don't remember him. I don't think he shows up after this. But just, you know, what a good name. What a good, plain, regular, basic name. Um, so they get through this, a description of the guard, and um, guard asks questions to the grandfather of who the kid is, what he's doing, that sort of thing, and says it's Prince Chivalry's bastard. And so that's our, our hint there that he's part of the royal family, he's a bastard. But not only that, his grandpa is mad and is throwing shade <laughs> at Chivalry because he hasn't had an heir yet like he hasn't produced an heir and he calls him out and is like he says him what's king in waiting that's who got him so let him do for him and be glad he managed to father one child somewhere which is so shady i don't know i mean he does say that he thinks chivalry knows about this which um does chivalry know because that's pretty pretty bad. The, the mother is convinced that he does know. And I think we do know that he does know. Mm. <laughs> I think it's said later as well or confirmed later. But I'm I, just, it, she, might leave, she might leave that up to interpretation. Like maybe yeah. he knew that she was pregnant but thought she was going to take care of it or something. I, I just is like from what very little we know of him is weird, but also not that weird. I I mean, he did take patience from Burek, so... Well, he didn't know that. I mean, didn't he? <laughs> well, no, but I like to believe that he knew if you're friends with somebody... So you just really don't like chivalry. Okay, no. And I'm definitely biased because I'm getting most things I know about him from Fitz's point of view, but I don't know. Just how can you know about a kid... And then get all uppity when he comes back into your life. I don't know. Well, we get more shade thrown at chivalry very soon in the next few pages. True. Everybody is just, you know, ready to knock chivalry down a few pegs. They are kind of happy about it. Everybody's almost a little bit happy that he's not a perfect person, which is really interesting. And we get our first big introduction to maybe I don't want to say the most important man in Fitz's life because Burek is there as well and Shade but Verity is hugely impactful on Fitz's direction and how he's raised and how he acts and what he does in the later series so we get our first look at Verity and I think this is the only look, I, I was kind of sad thinking about this as I was rereading this chapter. I think this is our only look at Verity as how he's only later described. Yeah, that he's so strong and He's built. strong, stocky, he's jovial, relaxed. he's a soldier's man, like he is relaxed, loves his maps. He's unkempt. He's unkempt, <laughs> unruly black hair and bushy beard, and he's just loving his life being a soldier. And later we see him take on a lot of responsibilities 
that he's not trained for, he's not used to. And I felt really sad because I love Verity reading over this chapter, this page, uh, and seeing him in his full element, kind of ribbing his brother for actually producing an illegitimate child, calling him his illustrious and virtuous brother. Can we also talk about the fact that he has a nickname for his brother? He calls him Shiv. Like, I was like, oh my god, that's so cute that they like, and it's so sad that they're so close. They have nicknames, and, you know, I have siblings, you have a sister, and it's just really cool to capture that little bit of realness in a relationship uh, between siblings where it's like, oh, I cannot wait to make fun of you for this later. Like, Yeah, it, just, it, it literally <laughs> describes Verity as very pleased to look down on Fitz. <laughs> so uh, he hands the responsibility of Fitz... Fitz's raising in general off to Jason, and Jason goes directly to the guard's room and hands him off to Burek. Which I want to point out that later, or that Jason says that Verity specifically said it was Burek's responsibility. Oh yeah, he's a soldier, he's lying. Not only that, but then whenever at the very end of the chapter, we see that Verity says that he gave Burek the responsibility. Oh, that's right. So... Is this a continuity error? Or is this just one of those things that we're supposed to assume happened off screen, <laughs> so to speak? Robin Hobb will keep those secrets to herself, I'm sure. <laughs> She's like, mm, yes, it happened when no one was around. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, he had been there a few months, I'm That's sure. That's true. I'm sure Verity no, checked in. No, not once. months, only weeks. Well, Nope, you're correct. It's weeks. Okay, so uh, Jason takes Fitz out, brings him to the uh, guard's common room, gets him some bread and cheese and hot meat, and we are introduced to Burek. Yeah, we are. Um, But before we talk about Burek, I want to (laughs) talk about the fact that Jason is giving a (laughs) six-year-old... My man's, uh, my man Jason is giving a six-year-old child a man's portion of meat, bread, and cheese. Like a six-year-old boy cannot that child eat. Pretty much cleaned it off too, though. I mean, <laughs> sure, but it's like, why does nobody know how to take care of a child? I just <laughs> it's a recurring. They don't even theme cut it up chapter. for him. They just eat it. <laughs> he could choke. He's six. He's little. He's small. Trial by combat in this life. (laughs) I guess. Anyway, so we get to um, meet Burek, which is great. And we we kind of see how Burek commands a room. Oh, yeah, Um, he commands a room. (laughs) He's not a full-blown alcoholic right now, but he is drinking. Well, he drinks so much that he is having trouble getting back not stumbling he never fitz never describes it as stumbling but he definitely makes it sound like he yeah since he's a six-year-old it it describes in there that fitz isn't sure if it was his leg injury and the ungainly gait that he had from holding his knee stiff or if it was the drink that slowed him down but fitz had no trouble keeping up yeah but we get more uh, of making fun of 
prince chivalry, king-in-waiting chivalry here, because Jason hands him off to Burek and says, you know, you take care of chivalries, hawks, and hounds, so here's his little bastard. <laughs> I like to think of Jason as a New Yorker, um, <laughs> and I know that's not right, but, you know, just the way he says bastard is so like... he got his little bastard. <laughs> hey, what do you want, see? I don't know, I'm not. That's bad. So uh, he says, um, the old plowman that left him here said so. And he said chivalry ought to be glad he'd seated one child somewhere, and he should feed and care for him himself now. And an unusual quiet bloomed suddenly in the kitchen. These guys are terrified of Burek and his rage. Because we learn later that he is also a battle rager like Fitz. He wants an axe to get bloodied, to get in there, and literally destroy everything. And these guys are, are very afraid of what he can do. And he's injured. And they're still like, uh-oh, somebody's talking bad about chivalry. Which also means that this is not the first time that somebody has tried to talk bad about the prince-in-waiting and then gotten beaten up yeah. by Burek. Which is an interesting thought <laughs> that he's gonna, he will fight for prince, uh, the prince-in-waiting that much. Burek is a very good man. Has a lot of flaws, but he is such a loyal person in general. Um, and this is like this whole scene here. It kind of blurs the fact if he's loyal to chivalry or, or patience. patience. But I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I he mean, still loves patience, but he, he loves chivalry as well. Yeah. I think he's also like, it, I think it's really interesting on this reread to know his feelings for patience because it really changes the way you read this, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, just noticing more that he, like, is super agitated at the mention of patience having any faults or the idea, like, just the idea that Fitz is alive and it's going to hurt her. Fitz says that he can see some masked pain in his eye. Um, he's hooding them against some pain. Burek responds to Jason by uh, saying that it's no fault of uh, chivalry's manhood or anything, that he had no heir, and the lady patience has always been delicate, and Jason kind of backtracks and quickly agrees, and then he doubles down again, and he, he doesn't understand Burek's anger, because he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not insulting chivalry. Chivalry's like a full man. It's proof that sits right here. And little does Jason know that Burek is in love with Patience, and he takes that as an even more insult towards Patience, yeah. and like, wow, you think chivalry's a man, you're proud of chivalry for fathering a bastard. Yeah, like, poor Patience. Behind, well, not behind Patience's back, because it was before she was in the picture, but... Well, it's behind her back because he knows he he knows Fitz right. exists, so right. <laughs> still not great. <laughs> and he Jason also like continues that, yeah, and says, "Not the crown prince's fault if his lady patience can't carry his seed to term." And Burek stood very suddenly. Jason backs really far away, thinking he's gonna get his lights knocked out of him. Um, it sounds like there have been. 
maybe multiple miscarriages, at least one miscarriage yeah. on Patience's part. Which is so sad that, I mean, maybe it is partially that she can't carry to term, but before Fitz was around, they didn't know that. And like, I don't know. I just feel really bad for her as a woman. Like everybody's, you know, kind of looking down on her for not producing an heir. And that just kind of sucks because some people just can't. And that's nothing wrong with them. And obviously this is a fantasy world, but like it just still, you know, is sad that she has to deal with the scandal of not being able to carry <laughs> a child the term. Definitely. And we um, we get Burek trying to confirm that this is actually Chivalry's Bastard and looks down on Fitz and finally accepts it and um, is extremely sad and is kind of scared of what Chivalry might do in the future. Yeah. Um, but he also wants to stop any further talk about it in general. Which is really nice of him to kind of, like, shut that down. And I guess it's probably stemming from loyalty to both of, to both chivalry and patience. Um, but still, it's, I mean, that's how you know you have a real friend, if they stop people from talking bad about you behind your back when you're not there. We keep going on, and Jason, in an awkward silence, kind of offers up that... The boy doesn't have a name, just goes by boy, which we also learned in the room with Faraday, where Fitz himself says, I don't know, I just said I'm called boy because I don't know if I had a name before this or if I was just repeating what the guard said to me earlier. And we know his name is Kepit. Which is such a cute name. But he doesn't find that out or figure that out until like the end of the Tawny Man trilogy, I think, when he gets his memories back. Um, but he, he's just called boy, but Burek never really calls, calls him boy, boy as his name. He'll, he'll say it once in a while, but in this chapter, literally a couple paragraphs later is come on then Fitz. So he, with a capital F, he names him Fitz. You and pointed that out to me a little yeah, bit ago. I did point that out because I think it's interesting that that's the name he chooses to keep for all intents and purposes that's who Burek is to him, his dad. And Fitz, if you guys didn't know, is, I had to look this up earlier myself, is not only a very old, old word for um, bastard, but it's more so meaning son of. So Fitz chivalry is literally son of chivalry, but with a illegitimate connotation to it. Interesting. That's good to know. Um, but one one quote that I really wanted to say before before Fitz is led away by Burek into his new new home for the next few weeks is Burek at the end of this talks to himself about chivalry, and this is pretty much a sum up of everything that we know of chivalry. There's another sentence near the end of the chapter that, in addition to this one, kind of sums up his whole description to me. And this one is, well, he said at long last, if I know your father, he'll face up to it square and do what's right. But Ida only knows what he'll think is the right thing to do. Probably whatever hurts the most. That's a really interesting take. And it's interesting to think that what hurts chivalry most is to not be part of his son's life. To not be part of 
his kingdom's life. Yeah. He's been training his whole life for this moment to take over. He's an extremely skilled negotiator, diplomat, leader. People adore him. He doesn't seem to do anything wrong, and some people resent him for that. But he takes a step aside because he knows it'll hurt patients. Yeah. Basically. And to protect his son from getting murdered as, like, the potential heir. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it's interesting that this is kind of how Fitz is, too. Yeah, they truly, to borrow Mountain Kingdom terms, they're sacrifices. Yeah. They just, they, when they know that they've done wrong, they're not afraid to own up to it. But they also... They want to feel that hurt. They, they the go The way the they own up to that isn't necessarily what's right to the general consensus. It's what's right in their mind, which is anything that gives them the most pain. Like running away from Molly. Or, you know, pretending you're dead to everybody who loves you for too long. <laughs> And now we're to the part where Fitz is led away by Burek to the stable. But I want to talk about Robin Hobbs' writing here for a little bit. Because I did a reread of the chapter right before we started recording this. And she has put animal descriptions and animal-associated terms throughout this whole lead-up to the stables surrounding Burek. And I thought it was masterful. Um, there's a lot of interesting things here because we have a um, Fitz following Burek and something that is said right here is, but something about Burek did not permit me to whimper or beg quarter from him. Whimper, obviously, close to dogs. Instead, I followed him doggedly. I loved that. And I then, thought that was so good. And then the next paragraph is a sentence in there says, A sleepy stable boy sat up in his nest of straw, blinking like a rumpled fledgling. So we got dogs and birds. Burek mentions that he has hawks later in there. And I don't know. I just thought like all of those little terms. There, there's a couple more, I think, that I've, I lost the place of that just kind of add up and put you into a comfortable mode of like, oh yeah, of course he's here with the animals. Like, it's natural progression. I thought that was just, it was, I don't know, I'm assuming she did it on purpose, (laughs) but I can't know for sure. True, yeah. No, I, yeah, it's really well done. Just her writing in general is really well done. And I think it's interesting leading up to this point and continuing on, Fitz talks a lot about how people are feeling with a lot of certainty. And I think that's, to me, was kind of like, he knows that because of the wit, right? Oh yeah, definitely. He's six years old. How does he know, you know, that this guard isn't curious about who fathered him or that his uncle is amused and joyful and that he, you know, feels pity for a little bit. It just... It just, you know, the whole time throughout, every time he meets someone new, he talks about how they're feeling. And I just thought it was a really masterful way to get, because that's kind of Fitz uses his wit to know how people are feeling instead of his eyes. Yeah. He, he's, he's <laughs> he doesn't know social cues at all. <laughs> right. He, I mean, he's mentioned later in the books, I believe, as 
non-responsive and non not really talking at all to anybody because he already knows what they're feeling and what he should do to react to that. Yeah. So he doesn't need to talk to them. So he's seen as very weird. Which, I mean, that would be super weird if there's just this kid who, like, I don't know, reacts to you without you saying anything to them and is like, like, you're like, oh, this kid makes me uneasy. And then he, like, looks at you and then just walks away because he knows that'll make you feel less uneasy. Like, <laughs> that would just make it worse. I don't know. <laughs> Poor Fitz. He just wants to help people. <laughs> but we're introduced to Nosy now and Vixen. <sighs> yes. Two very good pups. We're also introduced to uh, the older male dog who yep. regarded him with some suspicion. How does he know that the dog regarded him with suspicion? Mm, true. The wit. True. I don't know. That's what I assume. Although, I don't, well, now I think it's the wit. So, Vixen is basically a companion to Burek. Although Burek keeps himself shuttered in and despises the wit and the old blood in general, uh, thinks it's evil, Vixen responds to pretty much everything and adores him. Like, all the animals adore him, but Vixen is, like, his constant, solid companion, and Burek will never directly speak to them, but pretty much obeys him in anything he wants. And Nosy is her pup, and bonds fits and they share dreams that first night did you notice that yeah that's super crazy yeah the quote is i drifted into his mind and shared his dim dreams of an endless chase pursuing a quarry i never saw but whose hot scent dragged me onward through nettle bramble and scree and rereading that i i've read these books a few times and i always kind of breeze by and skim read because I know what's happening, but fully in-depth reading, I'm like, wow. I don't know if they bonded right that night or if it was in the next couple weeks, like a gradual thing. I don't remember the exact rulings or the how bonding but, works. But, but they were open enough to each other yeah. to right away share consciousness. Because they're both children. Yeah. They don't, <laughs> that's why it's so dangerous. That's yeah. why the, the old blood says that you have to be careful with children mm-hmm. just because they don't know what they're doing. Exactly. And yeah. But also, did you notice that uh, Burek calmed the horse uh, with a touch? touch? Yes. And I was like, you hate the wit, huh? (laughs) Doesn't look like it from here. Well, he keeps himself so shuttered in that he doesn't recognize that Fitz has the wit. That's true. But I believe... um, He does later. Oh, what's his name? I'm going to... Uh, I need descriptors if I'm going to help. I'm going to think this later. I'll think of him later. But it's it's the uh, old blood leader. Oh, who's the in one the, with the bear? No. Uh, that's Black Rolf. This is the man with the, the bird. And he's in the castle. Oh. Yep. I'm going it, to... It's going to come to us later. But um, he meets Burek on Eslavjal on the trip and exclaims that Beric is is a miracle of old blood in general and he has an art that hasn't been seen forever and I think it's like healing or a general calmness that you surround like the the exact opposite of the repelling people 
mm. is what Burek has, and I think he does instinctually, kind of like Fitz. Okay. Yeah, puts out his feelers to read everybody's emotions. I I could be wrong on that, and we'll get to it when we get to the Tawny Man trilogy in general. But I, I'm pretty sure that's I'm remembering that correctly. At least he has some sort of ability that was thought lost that he kind of instinctually does weird okay i'll we'll look out for that then yeah i it kind of just came to me right now but uh, talking about that so i i'm not fully researched on it please let us know if you know what i'm talking about if you remember that guy's name please let us know <laughs> the at, bird guy you know it <laughs> is fits happy on all the socials and you can email email us at is fits happy at gmail.com um i, I really want to know <laughs> um but we get uh, his first sleep and it kind of breezes by the next couple weeks he's not sure if he's been there how long he's at moon's eye but the season doesn't change, so max, he's there for two or three months. At the very max. Um, and the next, I don't know, I don't have anything until he's visited in his sleep later, if there's anything else you wanted to talk about in between that. Um, I did just want to quick touch on the fact that um, he is almost immediately getting used to people talking about him. Um, oh, yeah. And I kind of think this sparks his idea of not wanting to be at court this is like part of the root of he can't just do anything everybody always is looking at him and talking about him and he's the oddity he's the best he is and i think i think it was just really interesting to see that he almost immediately accepts that this is just how it is which is something that fits just up. he just accepts everything he right it's not really a person who fights the flow which is interesting that he's a catalyst then um but he kind of is somebody who when something happens to him he just accepts that that's how that's gonna be he's not gonna question that until he meets molly until but he that meets we'll molly. get to that later but, <laughs> but before that he's like oh well of course people are gonna talk about me i'm fits you know <laughs> i just thought it was really interesting to see that so early he's six years old and people are talking smack and it's kind of sad because he's six he's a child and people are already talking about him behind his back not very well <laughs> i do want to quote one thing before we lead into this next conversation because um, it touches on what you've said before and what's going to be happening in this next scene and it's a paragraph that starts with, Burek was a constant in those days, giving me the same care he gave to chivalry's beasts. I was fed, watered, groomed, and exercised. And that is, really is not sad. how you raise a kid. No! Why do these men not know how to raise a child? Have they, <laughs> they were children? Do they not have any memories of that? Or, like... So we, we go into a scene where he's woken up in the middle of the night, um, with three people standing there, and it is Burek in the back, so he's not afraid of the two other men, and one turns out to be Verity, and the other is the introduction to Regal. Regal. <laughs> yes, Regal. Ugh. Our first, first big villain here. You know, this part, in a reread, kind of made me more sympathetic to Regal, I still don't like him just in who he chooses to be <laughs> in general, but 
I do feel a little bit more like he's kind of his mother's creation. He's like one hundred percent. His mother is nasty. Yeah, he's presumably like what eighteen here. Yeah, something so, something around that. Which is pretty young. I mean, in our day, that's an adult, technically, legally, but he's still kind of a child, and he's the youngest of three. So I don't necessarily think he's really had any responsibility and, ever. And a half-brother. And a half-brother, which I'm sure his mother let him know all the time. And I think his mom really made him insecure about it. Yeah. Uh, other people describe him as the king's favorite, but he doesn't see that at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm which assuming really he was very spoiled, got kind of whatever he wanted. His mom fueled that 100%. Yeah. But he's very insecure. He does not appreciate chivalry's place or how everybody views him. Just the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he gets so hurt that... Well, not hurt. I think he's more frustrated that Verity is... Says, he says um, that Fitz might bring problems to the lineage and who gets the throne next. And then Verity is like, well, I didn't think that was an issue. It's chivalry me than you. And then our cousin and Fitz is a far fifth. And Regal takes that far Regal is as an real attack. mad. Yeah, he's like, how dare you? I mean, he's giving me real Malfoy vibes in this, not going to lie. My mother will hear about this. <laughs> My mother, the queen. Okay. He repeats <laughs> that like five times. Okay, thank you. And if you notice, anytime he's stating an opinion of what he thinks is the best for the public eye. He always says, my mother and I believe. Yep. And he always puts his mother first. It's it's fully fed to him. Um, But even Regal says, bastard or not, you don't stable a child among beasts. Was there nowhere else you could put him? And I'm like, (laughs) Regal's the one to point this out. Why is he the only one? He's 18. But at the same time, He's Beric more about and Verity, looks. they're doing their best. You know, I mean, that's all you can are ask they? of them. They're doing their best with the least amount of effort they can possibly put forward. You know it's bad if Regal is, like, the moral authority on this issue. <laughs> Woof. Um, Beric gets defensive. Verity's like, nah, it's, it's fine. If there was thinking to do, I should have thought of it. There's no harm on you. You did pretty well um and then regal is basically saying yeah father wants him back at the castle unfortunately but my mother and i do not yes (laughs) um she has counseled the king long but in vain mother and i were for putting the boy aside it is only good sense so his mom has been ranting to her son about killing this six-year-old child because it will put confusion into the line, which, to be fair, is a valid point if chivalry acknowledges fits. Right. But chivalry, I mean, it's not, it hasn't happened yet, but chivalry abdicates the throne. But still, like, I guess it's valid, but the vitriol from this queen is insane. You can already tell she is really mean. (laughs) But it kind of, on your first read-through, at least for me, it kind of took a backdrop to how much of an absolute dick Regal was. 
Right. And how spoiled and how everything. Yeah, Yeah, he was the front one. You kind of miss the, my mother and I, my mother the queen. And then it's just kind of him and the the rest of the book. But the whole time, you know, the queen is still there. Yeah. And he is his mother's making. He just Mm -hmm. became what she molded him into. Um, But interestingly enough, we see, number one, that Verity does not want to engage. This is probably not the first time (laughs) that Regal is... He says a monosyllabic O, like two times (laughs) in this conversation with Regal. The same as texting K to do a big ranty text. And Regal does not get the hint. Just gets angrier. Just is like, no, you don't understand. And then keeps going. But I think it's really interesting that... Regal changes tactics and then tries to get Verity to view chivalry as the enemy by saying, well, our dad thinks chivalry is his favorite. And no matter what he does, he's the perfect. And I think it's interesting. You can almost read it as Verity kind of taking that thought into account of like, oh, that's weird that dad would think this. It doesn't really make sense. And the people would love him for fathering a bastard? Yeah. What? And But also, I don't think Verity is really swayed by this, but I think it's interesting that Regal does try to use this tactic to mm-hmm. maybe, you know, he's like, oh, if I can just wedge in between the two of them, it won't be two versus one. And Regal is like the perfect insidious politician. Very while, cunning. While if he actually did not have his mother there, he would have been an amazing diplomat. Oh my gosh. If he could have been like a Handsome, nice person. Flowing words, interest in scholarly pursuits and tons of ambition. He could get that kingdom like, man. oh man. Yeah. But, but no. instead. <laughs> But no. His mother and then Galen, or Galen. Uh, We'll decide the pronunciation (laughs) later on that guy. I do want to point out the introduction to the fool here, hidden behind everything. Regal is talking about King Shrewd and trying to explain why why Fitz should not come to court. And King Shrewd says, uh, I'll, I'll try to impersonate Regal here. Regal, he said in that way he has. Don't do what you can't undo until you've considered what you can't do once you've done it. Then he laughed. Regal gave himself a short, bitter laugh. I weary so of his humor. What a son thing to say about their dad, but sorry, I had to... that, That quote is from The Fool. It is. Yes. That's what he wanted to go to Buck for. He was looking for the... I forget exact term that he calls it, but the... Changer, the catalyst. Well, the son that shouldn't be born or shouldn't be alive or something like that. And, um, the farseer. And he says that quote from a dream, a prophetic dream that he has to the King. And the King we know has taken, has taken a liking to the fool. And I don't think he's particularly laughing because that's his humor or after he says the quote, but he's laughing because he found a use for this crazy quote that this crazy albino little boy gave to him. And that's why he laughs. And Regal just doesn't understand anything about it. Yeah. But us, the readers. <laughs> we know on our second time through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I just kind of wanted to point out the fool makes a little, little appearance here. 
Little just fun. briefly. <laughs> um, and yeah, we go through the whole Regal being disgusted about more things because it's Regal. Um, and then Burek standing up for patience. Yep, stands up for patience and chivalry in general. Yeah, saying doesn't he have a say in this? Which, the first time I read it, I took that to be, doesn't chivalry have a say because he's chivalry's man, he's standing for chivalry. But it's only after precious patience, or dear patience is mentioned, that he then speaks up. He looks uncomfortable the whole time, but he only speaks up after we're talking about how patience isn't going to like what's happening. And then he says, well, doesn't he have a say in this? Can't he protect her? Mm-hmm. And I think my second time reading it, I took that as he just doesn't want patients to get hurt. Right, exactly. And Regal, I mean, as a prince does in general to the master of horse and hound for his <laughs> brother, kind of interrupts him and says, like, everyone knows of Fitz's existence. There's no time to save her feelings. Yeah. Verity saw to it that everybody knows that Fitz is around and he's a bastard and he's here and kind of insults, not kind of, straight up insults Burek's intelligence mm-hmm. and logic on that matter as well. And scares Burek. Yeah. It, it says, an icy harshness had come into Regal's voice and I saw Burek flinch from his voice as if as I had seen him cower from nothing else. It made me afraid and I drew the blanket up over my head and burrowed deeper into the straw. Beside me, Vixen growled lightly in the back of her throat. I want to ask you, do you think that was Vixen growling was because Burek was afraid and she was reacting, or because Fitz was afraid and she was reacting? Ooh. I don't know. I think... I think that she's reacting to Fitz being scared for Burek. If that makes sense. Like, I think she's like, because Burek is kind of shutting her out and not necessarily, he doesn't want to have the wit. He doesn't want to use it. So I can't imagine that he's letting his feelings willingly flow through him to this dog. But I think Fitz is so wide open that Vixen can feel what he feels. Yeah, I think it's definitely coming from Fitz. Mm -hmm. But I think it's for Burek, not Fitz. I don't think she's trying to protect Fitz. I think she's... Yeah, I definitely think Fitz has... Since he's so open, he is definitely reacting to emotions from other people. Because he's a six-year-old. He's not following the connotations of their conversation. He's definitely... I, I think I'm... I definitely agree with you on that, that he's reacting to Burek's emotions and Vixen is reacting to Fitz. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, more more evidence that Fitz is witted, he has old blood, and is just undisciplined in that in mm-hmm. general. And it says um, time has passed, and he says at some point chivalry must have visited him, but he can't remember at, at all. And his only memory is the uh, the portrait in Buckkeep. Which is kind of sad. Yeah. Like, his dad didn't come to see him, presumably while he was awake, or in had knowledge of him being there. And my, my first thought was that he did the same thing 
with his father that he did with his mother. Feeling abandoned, he put that hurt into Girl and a Dragon, but I don't believe he ever gets memories of meeting or seeing the face of his father. So I think it's exactly that. He just kind of like came and took care of things with Verity and Burek. But maybe he put it into um, Verity as Dragon. Because he did put something into Verity as Dragon, and then Verity stopped him. Maybe. That's definitely so, true. He wouldn't have gotten that back. We'll but I don't to, know. We'll have to sure. keep that in mind yeah. for the for the last book. We'll see if we can keep that in mind for the last book. <laughs> Who knows if we'll remember. Yeah. Let's see. We have time passing by, and chivalry succeeding in his forging of an alliance with... Uh, the Chiorda, which is the Mountain Kingdom, I believe. Yes, they are. I had to look <laughs> it up because I don't remember them being referred to this at all later. I think they just call them the Mountain Kingdom, and maybe they do, and I just always skipped over it because it's a hard word, and I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it's supposed to say, and you know. Although, if we're doing Burek, is it Kiorda? I don't mm, know. No, because it's at the beginning of oh, a word, okay, so okay. I didn't think it was Kiorda. We got our, we got our in-house linguist over here. So. <laughs> um. But yeah, chivalry and more evidence that chivalry is truly a diplomat and very, very skilled in what he does. And Fitz goes on to say that he was his only failure that year, but that he was a monumental one. More despondent, woe is me. Yeah, poor, poor, pitiful. (laughs) I am the worst person in the world kind of thing. And it says, by the time he, by the time that Fitz and Burek arrived to Buckkeep, chivalry and patience were gone from court to live as Lord and Lady of Withywoods. I have been to Withywoods. Its name bears no relationship to its appearance, and he describes it a little bit. This is Fitz at the end of the tr- the first trilogy. When does he go to Withywoods? I don't know. I don't remember him going to Withywoods until way later in the like tawny man end of tawny man i'm kind of thinking now he's traveling yes at the end of the trilogy in the time untracked there where he and night eyes are just wandering around before he settles down in that cabin i have a feeling he might have gone there then because it's after chivalry has passed away he still thinks elf bark is a useful tool yeah and he doesn't know it's poisoned his skill yet yeah so i think I, I think he goes to Withy Woods afterwards, before he settles down in the cabin, but I I don't know. I don't remember any <gasps> mention. No, wait. He does because, um, well, maybe that's in Tawny Man. Doesn't he go and spy on Molly and Burek? That's not at Withy Woods. Oh. Although at the same trip, he might have gone there. He might have, like, looped around hmm. to both. We'll but have to look out for yeah, it. We will definitely have to look out for <laughs> Another that thing to look out for in the future. Uh, I have one quote. This is, uh, I know I mentioned before that there were two quotes in here that summed up chivalry for me. Mm. And this last quote here is extremely sad in my opinion. A velvet smothering for a warrior and a silencing of a rare and skilled diplomat. It's very simple as a sentence, but I love Robin Hobb's imagery in that. Yeah, she's really skilled at imagery. I think it's really cool. The way that she really makes simple sentences come to life. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes me feel really sad for what could have been. But at the same time, Fitz chivalry had to be around, had to live in order for any change to be brought about. 
True. And chivalry, therefore, had to be put to pasture, as it says in here. Yeah. Just really sad. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he also made his own choices. So, can't feel that bad for him. Right, right. I'm still salty because he, didn't, he knew he had a kid. And presumably he knew he had a kid. And he did not go and check up on that kid. He didn't send money to the mother, even. Just, yeah. And this is a this is a long episode here, but we have one paragraph yet. And the last sentence, I don't know if that's what you have highlighted to yes. read. Go for it. I grew up fatherless and motherless in a court where all recognized me as a catalyst, and a catalyst I became. Which circles right back around to the importance <laughs> and the magic of names. <laughs> yeah. Is is Fitz's man name day catalyst or changer i don't remember i know night eyes calls him changer Mm -hmm. um catalyst is what the fool calls him right right but i like his old his old blood name um kind of there's there's a scene when he becomes a man at like 13 or something he has to be sponsored by a man and they have that ritual and it's it's mentioned in like only one page ever and they give you a name and i think it's either catalyst or changer i'm not sure oh i don't know i didn't even remember until you said that so but uh this is this is the whole thing yeah fitz chivalry is the catalyst and everything because he is alive because he goes back to buck keep everything kind of spirals out and not only is he the catalyst but he is the catalyst because that's what others made him. Yeah. Which I think definitely. is a really big theme throughout that all these people become who they are made to be by others. And everybody's actions are just so tied together. It's kind of like the butterfly effect where like one little thing, you know, just changes everything. And like other people's choices about certain characters make them into the person that they become to set this path on the change. And it's just really cool to see a little nod to it in this end sentence. Do you have anything to uh, wrap up this chapter? Any final thoughts? Um, I just really love Robin Hobb. I think she's a great writer. Um, I think something that we didn't really get to talk about, but I would love to just quickly touch on is that she did some dialects in here that she did two different um, for his grandpa and for Jason. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really interesting choice and something I definitely didn't notice the first time around. I think I was just kind of, you know, reading. I read really fast, and so I was just (laughs) trying to get all the information and not really appreciating. Yeah, she wrote in those specific vernaculars. Yeah, which I think is cool. And I truly did not notice that the first time through so that makes me wonder if it like continues throughout or if this is something that's kind of sticks to maybe the first book or first series so i think that'll be something that i look out for from now on but i thought it was really well done yeah um this was a very long episode because it's an extremely important chapter yeah we get introduced to our main character fitz chivalry farseer the catalyst changer <laughs> We get introduced to Birik, who is a father figure to him, who raises him, and informs him on his distaste of the old blood and one of Fitz's magics. Mm -hmm. We get introduced to Verity, 
who is extremely important to Fitz's worldview and what it means to be a king and a leader. And we get introduced to Regal. Yeah. Who is Who's gonna <laughs> main antagonist. Yeah. That drives every bad feeling that Fitz has, pretty much. You forgot Jason. No, He's I forgot. Super forgot important Jason. to the plot. Um. <laughs> he's gonna show up. He's gonna show up. I know he will. Hey, maybe I'm on he's the one of the uh, the guardsmen that goes out with Verity. <gasps> maybe I'll look for it. Okay. Maybe he's the one that survives. Yes, Jason. Um, <laughs> so Fitz feels he's been abandoned by his mother. Can't forgive her. Doesn't really remember his father visiting him ever, and he feels abandoned by him. No wonder he latches on to Nosy. True. And Bonds. Yeah. He's a kid. He gets punished for that later. And Nosy, I think it says in there somewhere that Nosy, like, welcomes him warmly. is yeah. like, nipping at his nose or whatever and giving him, like, puppy kisses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really struck me that nobody else really gives him a warm welcome. Nobody is yeah. excited to see him. Jason's nice to him. Mm-hmm. But nobody's like... And I guess Verity is like amused by him but nobody is like oh what uh, how nice to meet you i mean it is a child and that'd be really weird for yeah. you know, a 28 year old man or 26 year old <laughs> man to be like hello child <laughs> welcome <laughs> but you know i'll make I mean, a man out of you yeah. <laughs> but it just i don't know it's kind of sad that and a dog was the first person to show him a warm welcome and he, and he was traumatized enough to forget his name yeah any mention of his name. Literally just boy. <laughs> because that's what Verity had said. So we know Fitz at the end of this series is completely beaten down. He takes a break from life. He's lost Molly. He's lost Verity. He's lost his life in general. Everyone thinks he's dead. He has his wolf. And that's it. It shows that Fitz is just so broken and lonely and despondent. He got rid of some of his memories so he doesn't have his full capable feelings in him. He can't get past things. He can't fully write down things. He has an addiction to skill and to a drug that prevents the skill. He doesn't know that yet, but... Well, yes. But at least it deadens his his ability to reach out. Mm -hmm. And helps with the headaches. Yeah. And... I have to ask, is Fitz happy? No. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's miserable. No. But as a kid, is he happy in this chapter? I say yes, because he has nosy. You know, fair point. He's a kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what's happening around him. He feels abandoned, but he suppressed that. So yes, he's traumatized. He probably has some PTSD. But he found a companion that welcomes him warmly. I say he's super happy in these few weeks at Moonseye. There's no one bothering him besides the soldiers. He's always comfortable in soldiers later in life True. or around soldiers. Yeah, I guess I guess in this chapter he he is at least content. <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> he is happy to play with Nosy, so I guess I could say he's happy. But Overall, I Mark think... one down for the happy column, because there's <laughs> not going to be many. Okay. Well, thank you for listening with us. Uh, this was just chapter one. Uh, hopefully we'll get out chapter two pretty soon for you guys. Again, if you want to 
reach out to us, let us know how we're doing, any changes that we have, or if you have corrections to make, because we will uh, take those into account and try to fact check ourselves at the beginning of the episodes or the end of the episodes um, next week. Just let us know. We are at all the socials at isfitshappy, or you can email us directly at isfitshappy at gmail.com and visit us at www.isfitshappy.com. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you guys, and we'd love to know how we're doing. 